Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio here on this Wednesday night. I'm Drew DeArmond. It is frigid cold in the state of Alabama. It's that weird weather you get in the state sometimes. It's, uh, it's cold, and it's been a, a, uh, a very interesting last uh, two or three days uh, in the state of Alabama. Uh, we're here to talk some Alabama Crimson Tide football coming off of a rare defeat. The first one in eight years to LSU, 46-41. to 41. It turned into the track meet slash arena football game many were uh, anticipating. Uh, I know I picked 41-31, but I picked the good guys to win, not Ed Ogeron and the Bayou Bengals, but they got it done and earned it. And we're going to break some of that down tonight with, of course, the usual cohorts, uh, the wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, who does an outstanding job getting us on, you know, uh, on the air here. And uh, with uh, his production back in the Port City of Mobile, also gives his outstanding opinions and analysis. And then, of course, William Redfish Barger, the player perspective, put on the uniform, 1992 national champion from 89 to 93, a part of the Crimson Tide. Good evening, gentlemen. William, it's great to speak with you again. Not the outcome we anticipated. The Alabama Crimson Tide kind of got exposed on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, I you know they they did a you know a really good job of of losing the game in all three phases. I mean, uh, you know, the slow start on offense with the turnovers they had, and then the muff snap and the on the punt, and then of course you know the defense couldn't get a stop when they when they needed a couple stops. But um, certainly not the way that I saw it uh, playing out. But you know, man, I mean, you. you when, when you get beat like that, you've got to tip your hat to the opposition. I mean, Coach Ogeron had the had the Tigers ready to play, and you know, just from you know the way it played out on the field, they uh, you know they wanted it more than Alabama did. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons, um, you know, that it played out the way that it did. But you know, at the end of the day, um, you know that that's what it boils down to. I mean, they they got some stops when they needed them on defense, and you, know, you got to tip your hand to um, tip your hat to Dave Aranda. I mean, he, he that defense played a lot better, especially in the first half, than I thought they were capable of, and did some nice things, brought pressure uh, from different parts of the field, and uh, you know the the uh, you know we talked about this back in September, and you know we debated back and forth on this show about Joe Burrow, but I'm a believer now. I, I see what the the pro scouts are foaming at the mouth about, um, you know, came into a hostile environment against a, you know, maybe maybe not the best defense he's going to see all year, but certainly one that's got a lot of talent out there on the first 11 and played almost a perfect game. So, um, you know, he had a lot of help, obviously. He's got a good running back and some really good wide receivers around him. But, uh, you know, I thought their offensive line blocked – um, and gave him time a lot better than I thought they would. He did a good job of extending plays with his feet. Um, I don't think anybody saw the quarterback draw coming, uh, you know, there in the fourth quarter when it did. But, um, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, now Alabama's, you know, not in control of their own destiny. While I disagree with the the rankings last night, they've got nobody to blame for themselves but themselves, um, you know, having to hope for a Georgia loss down the way. But, uh, you know, they're going to have to beat everybody in a pretty convincing fashion, I think, if Georgia doesn't lose. But, you know, there's there's a lot of different things you can say about it. Um, You know, I think there's, like I said, every both offense, defense, and special teams 
Um, how can I forget about the, another missed extra point from, from Bull of us? Um, but, you know, it is what it is. You know, it, it was as bad as they played. It was amazing that they still had the opportunity at the onside kick there at the end to, you know, get back in it or win it. But, uh, you know, they fell short. And, you know, um, I, I guess I'll go ahead and say it now because I'm sure it's going to come up. I've got absolutely no problem with, with that Odron speech in the locker room. Um, if I was him, I would discipline the kid, the, the player, or whoever it was that was in that locker room that put that on the Internet because, you know, in, in a in a team atmosphere like that, there's all kinds of unpleasant things that are said that happen in the locker room setting, and that's supposed to stay within the family. So, you know, I know that's not something that he wanted to get out, but I've got no problem with what he said. You know, how you choose to celebrate amongst your family or your team, that's your business. And, uh, you know, they, they slayed the dragon. They got the monkey off their back after eight years. And, um, you know, now, now, you know, they've got some recruiting momentum as well and, you know, may cause Alabama. They've already caused some problems, um, you know, with Arik Gilbert and, you know, they may do it with some other players as well. We just got to kind of wait and see how that all plays out. But, um, certainly not the way I saw last Saturday afternoon panning out, right? No, and I, I, I think you can pretty much take Philip Webb and put him in purple and gold. Uh, I think after what I'm hearing, I think that's what's going to happen. And they certainly have a lot of momentum. And look, the only small problem I had with it is I think Coach O showed poor judgment from the standpoint when you're on the road – you don't know who's in your locker room. It's harder to control. And to me, you get on the team plane, you back in Louisiana, you do whatever you want. And you earned it. You kicked Alabama's ass. You can say what you want. I didn't appreciate him saying it in the middle of the field that they owned, that this is their house and they were going to whip Alabama's ass from going forward. Because, look, man, you won once in eight years. And then if you go in the locker room and say whatever, I, I completely agree with you, William. That's that's a sanctity kind of thing. Kids have got to use better judgment than that. That's something that you're not going to let get outside the football team and maybe your immediate family. You don't share that kind of stuff. That's stupid. But I just think Coach O, he should have maybe, let's wait, let's get on the team playing, then let's do that. Let's congratulate everybody because it's just very hard to control it in your environment. You don't know. If somebody, maybe even an Alabama staffer's in there and they'll tell somebody, you just don't, you want to make sure that you handle it with class. That's my only thing. Because they earned it. Coach O, I'll be honest, he shocked me. He's done a hell of a job. He's hired some really good coaches. He's got some great players. Joe Burrow is the Heisman Trophy winner in a landslide. All he has to do is stay healthy going forward and they have to win. And they're playing two clown patrols in Ole Miss and Arkansas, and then a pretty good football team in, Miss, in, uh, in Texas A&M that they will not lack for motivation due to being jobbed by the officials last year. So they're going to be super motivated. And like you said, Alabama's got nobody to blame but themselves. But I don't see LSU losing. Now, if Georgia runs the table and then beats LSU, then I think both of them are going to go to the playoff and Alabama would be out. But if Georgia loses to LSU – the only small worry I have is Oregon, and I think Oregon, Alabama, it would it would it would be a lot more relaxing if they would lose, like even to Utah, because Utah has a boat anchor loss to Southern Cal. But I still think when it's all said and done, William, if you look at Alabama 
and you look at Oregon, they both have one loss, and Alabama's just LSU by five, and then you've got Auburn, which could end up with three or four losses, and Alabama would have won at Auburn, then I think you've got to take Alabama. But Alabama's got to win out, and I'm going to be honest with you, William, and I think you'll agree with me. You played this rivalry, and you played in it when, the, when it turned, and they went to Auburn for the first time. That is not going to be an easy deal, even if they lose to Georgia, especially with the way Alabama played defense and couldn't tackle the wall. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, I think it's probably going to be, you know, a little bit more difficult because of how good Georgia's, you know, defensive line, I mean, uh, Auburn's defensive line is. Now, if Gus Malzahn all of a sudden starts to decide to, you know, do some things to help his true freshman quarterback. I, I, you know, I personally think, even, even though he's not Nick Marshall or Cam Newton, um, I, you know, I, I think they need to try and incorporate some type of dual threat offense um, and run him a little bit more. Um, you know, they need to, you know, he's not a true freshman anymore. I think they need to throw the, you know, the best chance they've got of beating Georgia and Alabama is to come up with a competent passing game. Now, whether or not Nick's can hold up his end of the bargain, you know, that, that remains to be seen, but, you know, trying to go out there and, you know, keep, keep running the same, you know, mind numbing offense that they do, especially now that they've had the, the injuries at the running back position. Um, you know, doesn't make any sense to me. But, I, I, you know, unless something changes, I, even as bad as Alabama's, you know, struggling on defense right now, I just, you know, I, unless there's some wholesale changes on that offense, I, you know, I don't know how much of a threat they are to score, you know, to put up 20-plus points. And I certainly think Alabama's capable of doing that on them. But, um, and certainly a loss to Georgia would uh, – um, probably start, you know, causing some of those guys that are going pro um, to start thinking about their futures as well. But, um, yeah, that's, that's way on down the road. Alabama's got to take care of business against Mississippi State this weekend. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's you can't ever discount, you know, that, that haunted house down there in Auburn. I mean, they do, they do show up, especially at home. And... Uh, you know, you can never you never discount the uh, uh, the unexpected playing out down there for sure. No, you don't. It's going to be a tough environment. It always is uh, when Alabama plays Auburn. It's going to be emotional. William, and I'm even slightly worried about the game against Mississippi State only because they have a potent running game with Tywin Hill. They've got Tommy Stevens healthier. Uh, and they did score 54 points on Arkansas. And I understand how bad Arkansas is and Alabama called off the dogs. But it's a road game. It's it, You know how hard it is to get back up emotionally after the game against uh, LSU. This is going to be a game about culture. This is going to be a game about you know uh, leadership within the program. Uh, I think there's some issues on Alabama's defensive coaching staff, certainly with Pete Golding. I'm, I, you know, I, I think that Carl Scott, to me, also with the corners, I'm, I hadn't been too impressed with the, 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 their level. They, I think Shai Carter, Diggs played very poorly on the biggest stage. Sertain hasn't seemed to progress, in my opinion. Job is completely off of the radar, and I thought he was going to be a big part of this. Uh, and then, you know, and then, of course, Brian Baker, you know, but it's more recruiting in that aspect with him. I think the D-line's been okay, uh, pretty good. But, uh, 
the, the issue is I just don't have confidence, I guess, in the defense, William. So this could turn into a shootout. So here's my opinion. Although there's been a lot of people talking about Tua Tungvaluwa taking the week off or, 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 or you're not coming back to the Auburn game. That's a huge mistake, in my opinion, because we saw how rusty he was in, in, the, in the first half against LSU, and that helped kind of dig the hole. You have the two turnovers, which you can't have. Uh, especially with the way this defense is, they don't. The defense doesn't pull as big a load as they used to, and so it's harder to overcome. This offense has to be perfect or near perfect. So to me, he needs to play in the next two games. Hopefully, maybe two and a half quarters against Mississippi State, uh, and then uh, maybe a half against Western Carolina to stay sharp. Because William, you and I both know Auburn is better on defense than LSU, and if two is a little off. I, I think they're going to be in trouble against Auburn. And I, nothing against Mac Jones, who I think is a good player. But to me, you put Mac Jones in that environment at Auburn, that's a recipe for, for disaster. Well, I mean, I think as long as two is ready to go Saturday, I might fully expect him to play. I mean, I you know, there's been all kinds of reports about him, um, you know, at least during the media viewing period. And I know Coach Saban has, you know, made some comments about the soreness and stuff, which that's to be expected. But, you know, unless he's just not ready to go, I just don't see them, um, you know, inserting Mac Jones, um, you know, as the starter. I mean, they've, they've – and, you know, after listening to you talk about it, I really hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it. But, you know, from the – you know, I, I think Alabama will certainly be able to score some points against Mississippi State. But with their, you know – dual threat quarterbacks, which I don't even know if I should call them that. They're more run, you know, runners, um, you know, kind of like Plumley at Ole Miss and, and accomplished passers. But, I, yeah, I can certainly see with Alabama's assignment problems at the linebacker position and missed tackles and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, if they've got the RPO game, uh, you know, cranked up, I, I see where you're coming from, um, especially with the letdown after Saturday. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, if Alabama wants to try and get back into the playoff race, you know, they're going to have to go and take care of business on Saturday versus Mississippi State. Yeah, they really are. I completely agree. It's still a nerve-wracking game. They'll beat Western Carolina with Talia Tungo-Valo, okay? We understand that. But Mississippi State's an SEC opponent that they've got to respect. Uh, they've got some things to clean up. They've got to get better. But I, I want to talk about the positives we can take out of the game, William. Uh, you know, the penalty still bothered me, uh, especially the, uh, the, uh, the, I thought the biggest penalty of the game, honestly, and, and this is where I questioned the coaching on defense before we talk about the positives that I thought the penalty to the wiped away digs interception was huge because it could have completely changed the momentum. And honestly, maybe digs plays a better football game if he, you know, makes a play early in it, because I just thought from that point forward, digs was uh, just burned the tape. He had a very poor game. After playing at, a, I thought, a pretty good level earlier this year, though, I will give Wes Neighbors credit. He he kind of hinted to me that as, after he went back and rewatched the game, he didn't think Diggs had played as well from a technique standpoint uh, in the Tennessee game as you know people thought because of the fumble return for a touchdown and stuff. But, again, I just felt like that penalty was huge, and that's been something that shouldn't be still happening that's been going on all year, getting big defensive penalties. No, it's not. I mean, you know, when, when you look at the what was thought to be the, the strength of Alabama's defense, you know, obviously the, the talent, the depth on the back end with the defensive backs was, 
thought to be the the strength going you know going into the season. But you know, Drew, if we're honest with ourselves, I mean, you know, we we were uh, you know kind of complaining and talking about some of these same issues early on in the season, and and, and kind of you know bringing up some questions about Golding's you know see the right guy for the job. Um, you know, and and I, I think we kind of just decided to quit harping on it, and um, you know, because there was a little bit of improvement towards the end of October, and that may have more to do with the quality of competition that they were playing more than anything. But um, you know, just just a lot of things, you know, that you saw from a schematic standpoint that didn't make a lot of sense. Um, you, you know, I, I, I don't understand. You know, while all of a sudden Markel Benton's the linebacker in dime, um, you know, it, it, other than Terrell Diggs, I think he looked uh, – I mean, Trevon Diggs, I think he looked more lost than anybody out there on Saturday. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, even even on the defensive line, um, you know, you don't see – I think D.J. Dale, unless he's still hurt, he's kind of regressed since the first of the year. You know, a lot of times when you see them make tackles, they're 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 hanging on and and getting drugged forward a yard or two versus pushing them back. Um, you know, you you don't see a lot of, you know, if Anthony Jennings and 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 uh, uh, Lewis don't get to the quarterback, there there's you don't see really you know unless Barmore's in there and his cameo appearances that he makes briefly. Um, you know, you just don't see a lot of him. Um, you know, th- there was some weird substitutions going on with, with Harris and Lee. Um, it's just when you, when you look at just the overall, you know, vibe on defense, you just don't see a lot of stuff that makes a lot of sense. You know, the, the mass confusion, you know, prior to the ball being snapped. I mean, I haven't seen that since, you know, the, the old misses of the world first unleashed the, um, you know, the offense with a mobile quarterback that, that, you know, started causing them so many problems around 2014. And, and, you know, Kirby Smart would be over there jumping up and down, losing his mind as the ball was being snapped. So it just, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense with, with the stuff that you're seeing. And, and, you know, especially on a, you know, a game at home that you had two weeks to prepare for. Um, you know, it's, it's disappointing. And, and, you know, at this stage in the season, it's pretty unsettling. Yeah, it really is. That's a great way to put it. Unsettling is perfect. Uh, but again, and then we had Landon Dickerson with a personal foul, uh, you know, that, that helped LSU get better field position to uh, score that touchdown near the end of the half. And and honestly, I mean, uh, <laughs> the two is two turnovers were definitely huge in the game. I mean, they because Alabama's first drive, they went right down the field. I didn't really like the play calling in the in the uh, inside the ten. I thought they should have maybe uh, stayed patient with the run a little bit more with Najee on the second down play, but they didn't. William on the scramble, it didn't look like to me too. It was going to score. Now, if he were healthy, he probably would have. But in that shape, I didn't think he would have made it. It cost Alabama, you know, some points though. And uh, but in the past, Alabama's defense could have still made up for that. But LSU went through them like a hot knife through butter, which I thought. Gave LSU a lot of confidence, so that was a big play. And then, to, but to me, the second turnover was the most glaring, though, because and I put that on Nick Saban and the coaching staff as much as Tua. Uh, you've been through it; you've seen Nick Saban coach his whole career at Alabama, William. It shocked me. I was looking through stats. I wasn't even watching. I was looking down. 
thinking they were just going to run the ball or take a knee and go into the locker room. And I thought they should have. It would have just been a 26-13 game. I thought that maybe the the two biggest plays in the game were the nullified interception and then the bonehead interception where the coaches just didn't take it into the locker room and run the ball at the end of the half. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that that sequence, you know, there before halftime, I think, changed the whole complexity of the game, Um, especially with LSU getting the ball back. Um, you know, right after right after the second half started, um, but you know, it's it just you go back and like I said, I, I, I really do. I feel like this is a you know just a complete team loss. Um, you know, from starting with the coaching staff, offense, special team, the defense, they all had a hand in it. Um, you know, they didn't really look. Um, you know, the offense started kind of slow, and that, that's not just t- Tua. Um, you know, LSU was kind of taking it to them there in the first half. And, um, you know, the defense really looked out of sync, um, you know, as well. There was a lot of confusion there. And, and you know, I, I, you know, and I put this squarely on, on Coach Saban. I mean, how many more games, you know, are we going to get the, sh- the shoulder shrug and, you know, kind of the – to me, it comes across as, I, you know, I just don't give a shit. I mean, how, how much longer is, are we going to have to keep watching Bull of us miss extra points? I mean, there's got to be somebody on that team. I'm not saying he's not going to be your field goal kicker, um, you know, because there's really nobody else to put out there with Riker being hurt. And, you know, I, I feel like that's probably Coach Saban's fault, too, that he's still not well, uh, well after trotting him out there to punt with a hip flexor. But, you know, there's got to be somebody standing over there on the sideline that can make a freaking extra point. I mean, the guy led the country last year and missed extra points. I think it set some sort of record. And, you know, I know he's had a couple more this year. It just, you know, it, it, it's it's amazing to me. Um, and God knows I was spoiled when I was at Alabama to have, you know, Philip Doyle the first half and Michael Proctor for the second half who never missed anything. But it's just amazing to me that, um, you know, we're still talking about, you know, going all the way back to the 2011, you know, LSU game at home, you know, the first one with all the missed field goals. But at least yeah. those were, you know, 45-plus 40, yarders, uh, yeah. most of them, which, you know, is a little bit more easy to stomach. I, You know, I just don't get it. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, the muff punt, um you know, I don't, I don't know if the sun was in Perrine's eyes or what, but, you know, that that's inexcusable. It was a huge play in the game. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, I, I'm just not going to put, you know, too much blame on one specific area because I think, you know, you can you can place plenty of it on all three facets, facets of the game, including the coaching staff. I mean, the, the biggest positive to me, um, you know, was the continuation of the Najee Harris train. I mean, he can he, yeah. he looks like he's getting better and more comfortable in his role um, every week. I mean, he ran with power, uh, made, made broke a lot of tackles, made people miss, obviously. Um, you know, he, he looks just as comfortable catching the football as he does running it. So, you know, to me, that was the – you know, I expect – you know, r- ridiculous performances out of those wide receivers every week. So I'm not even going to bring them up. But but it's it's great to see, you know, for the team and even more so for Najee personally, uh, you know, for him to finally, you know, be getting his groove and, and playing on a consistent high level every week. 
Yeah, it really is. I, I was you took the words right out of my mouth, William. I was going to ask you about that. I, I thought Najee played the best game of his career. If you had told me at the start of the game, remember we talked about this last week on the show, that I said whichever 22 played the best would win. And, of course, Clyde Egbert-Hilaire had over 100, and he had 70-plus uh, yards receiving. Matter of fact, I think he led LSU in catches. Yes, he did. Nine for 77 and a touchdown. But Najee had almost 200 all-purpose yards. I would have told you Alabama was going to win the game. Uh, you know, arguably, I guess they should have run him more in the first half. But I thought they made outstanding adjustments. The catch he made for the touchdown was a freak play. Uh, I thought he carried the team. And uh, I, I'll just say, he, I thought he was one of the definite highlights of this game. And I still thought the offensive line, as far as the interior, played well. I thought they got good push for most of the game. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, on two things on the offensive line. One, Landon Dickerson got a very dumb penalty we already talked about. How do you talk to someone, you played the interior of the line, who's you don't want him to lose his nastiness because he plays with an edge. What do you say to a guy like that to ensure that, in a big game, we, you really can't give away yards like that and have that happen again. No, you can. And, and like you said, I mean, I, I think he's, you know, from a coaching standpoint, he's brought to a, a nasty level and a physicality, um, you know, to the center position that was missing. He's played really well. Um, but, you know, as a player, especially now that, the, you know, they're they're – dropping those flags as quickly as they are on plays like that. You know, that's just something that you've got to, you know, have coached in you in practice. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, a bad call by the officials that was questionable. I mean, he, he, you know, wound up and had a nice little run and start before he leveled the guy. Uh, it's unfortunate, and, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that, you know, have, you know have, that sticks in their crawl for a while, but – it was a stupid play, it was a stupid penalty. I mean, it, it you know, the, he heard the whistle, he knew to stop, and he let his emotions get the better of him. Um, but yeah, I, you know, you know, I thought that that you know, for the most part, especially in the second half, for sure, I thought the offensive line performed really well. You know, quietly. Um, you know, I think that. Uh, I don't know where they rank in the running game. I guess it doesn't really matter when when. You've got the wide receivers that they do, but you know, I think they're they're up to maybe 145 or, or 150 yards a game rushing now with a five yard average, and you know the O line's tenth in the country in sacks allowed per game. I think they're averaging like 1.1 a game, which is excellent, especially as much as Alabama throws the football. Um, so they they've really made um, you know steady progress. Um, you know, throughout the season, really kind of came into their own in October. So, you know, that that's a plus for the offense. Certainly, you know, having Najee Harris, you know, running angry now is is helping them. But um, certainly, I I, I, don't, I didn't see anything outside of Dickerson's penalty that was, you know, hypercritical of the offensive line. I thought they played well. Um, you know, at, at times I thought um, – you know, LSU's edge guys. There was a missed blitz pickup, I think, on Evan Neal. Um, I know one time that people started screaming at Leatherwood, but, um, you know, he had to pick up the closest gear taut. You know, if two guys blitz, you've got to pick up the closest guy to the quarterback, and that's exactly what he did. So that, that wasn't a, a minus on Leatherwood. 
you know, there, there was a little bit more pressure than I thought they would give up at times, but um, certainly a healthy Tua probably would have been able to, you know, circumvent that and overcome it. But, um, you know, certainly I think, uh, you know, they, they, they really got things rolling in the second half. Um, but combined with their slow start in the first half and with the defense's inability to get stops when they needed them, um, you know, I, I think that was probably the difference in the second half. Um, you know, especially, um, you know, who knows what would have happened if, if Diggs would have put the running back down on the ground on the four-yard line when he wrapped him up and went for the strip instead of the tackle on that last drive. But, you know, it's it, it's easy to hit the rewind button and play armchair quarterback when you're not out there doing it live and live in color. So, I, you know, I, I don't really like getting – hypercritical of, of players they're out there doing the best that they can um you know i know you had a former player tell you that you know the you know the tackling issues i mean the coaches are just responsible for teaching they can't go out there and make the tackles themselves and, and there were quite a few um missed tackles that i thought were due to effort but you know that that that's one of the things that i think has such a you know, an unsettled atmosphere surrounding the defense as a whole right now is, you know, they're, we're, we're here, we are about to be in mid November and, and they look like they're a worse tackling unit now than they were in September. Um, you know, Diggs, you know, went backwards Saturday. Um, you know, uh, the DBs as a whole, I mean, you saw them, you know, pre-snap, they didn't look like they knew what to do or who to cover at certain times. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I think that's probably what has people, um, you know, asking questions and, you know, why, why is this, you know, why is it falling apart now? Well, you know, that's the best team that they've played, uh, certainly the best quarterback and the best group of wide receivers. And, you know, that that running back, if he keeps developing, will play on Sundays for a long time. But, you know, it is what it is, and, you know, it's time to turn the page and move on. Well, and what are you expecting to see against Mississippi State, William? I know you've only got a few more minutes with us. To, uh, it, to me, it's kind of an unknown. We, I want to see kind of where the team is mentally. I don't think they got too banged up in the game. Uh, you know, as far as what we're hearing, Coach Saban didn't talk about that. We're not going to see Will Reichert, I don't think, until Auburn at the earliest. LeBron Ray, the playoff at the earliest. So they're not going to get those guys back anytime soon. It's kind of dance who brung you. And I thought it was interesting. The offense did not target the tight end the entire game against LSU, but we saw a lot of Jaleel Billingsley in the second half, quite frankly, as Coach Saban said, because they were shorthanded at the position. Um, you know, I, I, I would love to say that, you know, I expect them to bounce back and, um, you know, go out and dominate Mississippi State the way I think they're probably capable of. I mean, on paper, they're a lot more talented of a football team than, than Mississippi State is. But, you know, we've seen them go over there probably with a lot more talented teams. Um, what was that, in 2017 when they had to yep. have the, you know, the last, the last second comeback to win that one? Um, and that was with a, a much better defense than, than what they have now. So, you know, I'm sure that game, um, even though there may not be any injuries, I'm sure they're they're emotionally drained and tired, and um, you know, probably a lot of self frustration um, with letting that one you know get away from them the way that it did. And you know, I'm sure Mississippi State's going to be sky high, but you know, if if Alabama will just play you know good you 
know, assignment football and defense, I think, you know, keeping the quarterback from hurting them with, um, you know, RPOs um, is, is going to be the big key. Um, you know, I, I'd be shocked if Alabama didn't win this game, you know, by double digits. But, hell, I, I thought they'd probably win by double digits against LSU based on the matchups. But, um, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. But, you know, it's it's – you know, because as we sit here and we talk and and you just kind of, you know, play the what-if game and, and, you know, project it forward, you know, if they can win out and, and you know, somehow get get into the, the college football playoffs and, you know, face let, – let's just say that they play – they face Clemson again, you know, another good quarterback, really good quarterback with really good wide receivers just like they saw Saturday, you know, is the confusion and the – the issues that we saw Saturday, I mean, are they going to be fixed by then? You know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I certainly – because I also don't know if, you know, depending on who the matchups would be, I'm just sitting here trying to think about it. Um, you know, if Georgia wins out, um, then they're probably out of it. But I'm uh, talking about Alabama, especially if they beat everybody convincingly. Um, I think that would be a real interesting matchup with LSU because with the way Georgia's offense has been struggling, I don't know if they can afford to get into a shootout with LSU. And, um, you know, they I don't think they faced a, a team with a passing attack anywhere near as good as LSU's as well. So that that's certainly something to, you know, look forward to if that's the way it turns out. Cause I certainly don't expect Auburn to beat them. I'd love it if they would. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. I mean, no doubt about it. Uh, I think, uh, I, but again, I agree with you. I, I, I was a little concerned about the pass protection from the offensive tackles. I think they got exposed a little bit, but they did perform better in the second half. Um, I'm still not sure either one of them is a first-round pick. I would say Jedrick has a better chance right now than Leatherwood. Uh, so we'll see what they decide to do as far as the NFL goes later on. But they've got a lot of football left to be played, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, and then, and then, like I said, Najee, I agree. I was hard on Najee at the start of the season, but he's really coming into his own. He's become, I, William, I expect them to lean on Najee. He needs to get 25 carries against Mississippi State because the thing that struck me in that LSU game, that's why people – and it's easy to do in hindsight. We're talking about how he should have had more touches against LSU. But I saw some Derrick Henry-esque getting stronger is with more touches stuff. I think that Najee needs to get 20-plus carries a game now and then just work Brian Robinson in situationally. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and, and I certainly wouldn't uh, give him more touches running the football to take away from, from the magic he generates as a receiver out of the backfield either, though. Um, you know, maybe maybe 25, you know, touches, I guess, would be my, my answer versus, you know, um, a lot more rushes because he, he's uh, – you know, definitely good, and they do, you know, have to, you know, give him some spot relief with Robinson. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think that's something that they could, you know, actually, you know, make a bigger focal point, um, you know, especially until, you know, two is 100%. I mean, I, I don't know how much more healthy he's going to be versus Mississippi State Saturday than he was, um, you know, versus LSU. Um you know, obviously there's, there's some, you know, some soreness and some issues there. He wouldn't be missing practice time. Yeah, there is. There's no question about that. There is some uh, some soreness. Even though I heard today Nick Saban was having his press conference, wrapping it up as we were getting started, uh, he did say that he he did um, he was much better today. Get, 
gotten through the soreness. He still didn't do a whole lot, but I think they're going to lighten his load in practice so he can be ready for the game. And as I said earlier in the show, I think he's got to play. He's got to stay sharp uh, that because uh, that Auburn defense is going to be coming after him. They're really good. Uh, personally, I like Georgia in a close game against Auburn William this weekend. I think because of the uh, – I think the, both defenses kind of cancel each other out. They're the two best in the league. I like Georgia's offensive line and, and DeAndre Swift and then the experience of Jake Fromm to win a 24-21 game. What are your thoughts on this one? Because this will have some effect on Alabama because some want to see Auburn win to be a top-10 team uh, and then give Georgia another loss. But yet others, uh, you know, want to see uh, Auburn only. Maybe you have three losses and maybe they, there'll be some turmoil with Gus Malzahn. They, wouldn't, they won't maybe be as motivated. But we know that Auburn always puts a lot. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, to, to into the Alabama got game in the Iron Bowl. Yeah, and I, you know, I think one one thing to uh, you know really pay attention to Saturday, especially considering it's at the center position. Um, you know, Georgia's had to go deep, deep into the depth chart. You know, they've got a converted offensive guard who's not a hundred percent playing center for them now, uh, which could make for an interesting matchup with Derek Brown. So. You know, I don't think that offensive line is is near 100% at certain positions. And, you know, it could be some – you know, that, that defensive line for Auburn is very talented and very deep, and they, they could cause some problems, I think, for that Georgia offensive line. I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But that's certainly, I think, going to be the, you know, the key matchup. And, and also, too, if, if Auburn is able to slow um, Georgia's running game down, which most people have had trouble doing this year, um, you know, there's 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 some frustrated people, especially with the way Justin Fields is lit it up at Ohio State this year. Um, you know, there, there's there's you know whispers over there. There's some frustrations with Jake Fromm um, not really being able to get that passing game, uh, you know, cranked up to to a, an elite level. And they lost one of their best wide receivers again this past weekend. Kay, I don't know if Cager is going to be available for this weekend or not. But, you know, that's, that, that offense is not the same offense that you saw back in October due to some injuries. Yeah, I, what I'm hearing is they, they rested Cager. He'll more than likely play. I don't know how much. Pickens is coming off of a, a strong game, William, and you know he's from your area at Hoover. He's going to be supremely motivated to play well against Auburn. Uh, Auburn's secondary can be had a little bit, though they did turn Burrow over a couple times. It's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, and finally, before we let you go, uh, give us a prediction on, uh, on this Alabama Mississippi State game. I know it's kind of hard to do because we just don't know how they're going to respond. Usually Nick Saban's teams respond well from losses, especially if they have the, the proper leadership and the uh, culture. But I'm a little worried because of the defense. What are your thoughts finally on your, your final thought on the game Saturday morning at 11? Well, it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, especially if the defense is able to get some turnovers and some stops, if it's not more than this. But I'm going to go with 31 to 17, um, Alabama. I think you know there probably is going to be a little bit of, ha- of a hangover. You know, I think it all depends on how how quickly they come out of the gate um, offensively. I mean, if the offense is clicking better than it did in the first half against old, I mean, Ole Miss, LSU. Um, you know, I think they can put some more points up. This isn't a great defense. You know, there's not a Jeffrey Simmons or a Sweat on that defensive line like there has been. Um, so, yeah, I think they could certainly um, 
you know, produce more points than 31, but I'm, I'm going to err to the side of caution um, after swinging for the fences versus LSU and say maybe it is going to be a little bit sluggish and go with 31 to 17. Well, good pick, William. We appreciate the time as always. Uh, we're going to let Thomas come in and uh, give some of his thoughts and analytics on this game, but we always uh, thank you for the time. And uh, next week we'll talk a little more recruiting. Uh, because it did sound like it was a pretty good weekend for Alabama. The one negative, I think, was uh, Philip Webb from Buford, Georgia. I do think he's probably going to end up in purple and gold. But Alabama did make some inroads and I think strengthen themselves, hopefully with Tim Smith, the defensive tackle, and McKinley Jackson. McKinley Jackson was, hasn't committed, but he's a former LSU commit from Mississippi that I think Alabama feels good about. Uh, and then, uh, we, you know, Javion Cohen, the offensive lineman from Central and Phoenix City. Uh, they had a good visit with Arian Smith, so I still think the wide receiver there, there's going to be some work to be done at that spot. And then Jeremiah Pegues, the tight end. So a lot of Alabama's key 2,020 targets, I think they, they uh, did a nice job with. Got a chance to finish strong. Uh, it'll be a top three class, but uh, LSU and certainly uh, Clemson are going to have something to say about that. But we'll talk more about the recruiting aspect later. But we, we appreciate it. Have a good evening, and uh, thank you for the thoughts. Yeah, thank you, guys. I'll see you next week. Thank you, William. And now we're going to bring Thomas Watson. And as I was saying, I'm just talking a little recruiting there. Again, I'll reiterate, Alabama, They've only, their, their spots are limited. They've only got about, you know, five or six left. Certainly, Philip Webb was a guy they really wanted to be the cherry on top of the linebacker class. From what I'm hearing, he jumped out of the uh, – the, as you saw, it's, it's gone viral, those LSU peckerheads came over and started the players and, and yelling at Alabama's recruiting section and saying, come to LSU, acting like a, bu- a bunch of classless jack-offs. I mean, because that's something you don't do. Alabama doesn't do that. But see, the problem with LSU and the way they handle themselves after the game is they don't handle themselves with class. Their fan base is a bunch of, you know, they, they've always done that. They're, I've dealt with Auburn, Mississippi State. You know, I've dealt with all of them uh, in the SEC. Uh, by far, I mean, and I'll and I'll say this: uh, Texas A&M, you deal with all these fan bases. Ole Miss, LSU, when they win, is the worst. They absolutely act like a bunch of you know, just peckerheads, just assholes. I'll just go ahead and say it. And then and then I thought Coach O acted like a you know a classless jerk. I mean, certainly I I, I agree with William. The sanctity of the locker room shouldn't have been broken. But I thought, you know, he didn't handle the, the win correctly. He should have kept all that in-house, just told the team he did a hell of a job. He could have said, kick Alabama's ass, any of that stuff. But all that personal crap, do that back when you're on the team plane or back in Louisiana. And then saying it's our house when it took you eight years to win and you just Alabama just burned yours to the ground the year before 29 to nothing, saying this is our house now. Just shut up. Sounds like a guy that's not even sure of himself and knows if he gets a rematch, he may get his Cajun ass whipped. But that's all right. They won the game. They're the better team. No doubt about it. Total credit to them. I would vote Joe Burrow for the Heisman. I love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He should be first team All-SEC. Good luck to them. Hopefully they won't choke and blow the national championship shot uh, in the playoff berth down this stretch. Because the only way they could do it is to lose two games. I don't think that's happening. If they lose just one down the stretch, they'll be in the playoff. But honestly, if they don't get to the SEC championship game undefeated, it's a huge just a red flag for Coach O, and I think they will. I think they'll get their revenge against Texas A&M. 
and it's just going to come down to whether they can beat Georgia and uh, and, and you know, help Alabama make the playoff. I mean, they'd have to play Alabama in, in, in Atlanta probably. I'm not sure they really want to do that, but we'll see what happens uh, going forward. But LSU has earned everything they've got. They just need to act like they've been there before. I know there's a lot of frustration from the eight-game losing streak, a lot of them heartbreaking, but I just thought overall some of the things that the coaches and players did I didn't, I didn't really appreciate. But I will say, Alabama, from a recruiting standpoint, Webb was really the only bad news coming out of the weekend. They made some inroads with Arian Smith, the wide receiver. Uh, like I said, Javion Cohen, the offensive line, committed all. He's, he's committed to Auburn from Central Phoenix City. I think they've got a good shot to hold on to flip him right now. He's supposed to come back for the Western Carolina game, uh, and then and then I and then also J- Jeremiah Pegues, the tight end. He was he's going on his official visit to Auburn this weekend. He's coming back to Alabama for Western Carolina. I think they, he understands he's in a need position. They need a tight end, uh, you know. And I think also, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to defensive line, I mentioned the strengthening the commitment of Tim Smith because Florida had been, uh, you know, you know, uh, recruiting him hard. And then uh, McKinley Jackson, they could really use McKinley Jackson. Maybe that final piece of the puzzle. Uh, and certainly, uh, they made some inroads with him as well. So there, there's several targets. And then Jace McClellan, I didn't mention him. The William, the running back. Maybe the best receiving running back in the country. They definitely turned his head. Bryce Young was with him. He's committed to Oklahoma, been committed for two years. But watch James McClellan going forward. Uh, and then also the cornerback, Ethan Pouncey. He committed from Texas. He's from Florida. He's wanting his brother to come with him at wide receiver. We'll see what Nick Saban has to say about that. But I know they really like Ethan Pouncey as well. So that's a little bit of a recruiting update. And now I want to bring Thomas back in. Thomas, I know. You said it, uh, you know, uh, that uh, you will, before we started the show that much like myself, William, we're all kind of eating crow today. But what were your thoughts on the game as you watched it unfold? And, and what bothered you most uh, about how Alabama performed? Well, we've already talked about the thing that really jumped out to me that uh, if I never see another DB rip technique come out of an Alabama defensive back, it will be too soon. Whoever came up with that idea with this defense does not live on a little planet that I call Earth. And let me tell you why. If you look at how this Alabama defense is going to want to play, particularly against a team like LSU, it's going to be impossible to shut down an offense like that. It just isn't something that happens in modern college football. The rules are too slanted to the offense. You know, linemen blocking downfield, uh, inability to get physical over the middle. I mean, think about it. What, what did Jimmy Johnson say? I don't want to coach anymore because now wide receivers can run, aclo- run across the middle without fear of getting their heads knocked off, which puts more of the field around to defend. But anyway, Alabama is go- – part of stopping teams on third down is making tackles. And, you know, you already highlighted the edwards Elair DB rip that was a third down conversion that shouldn't have happened. And at the end of the day – I am just really – I'm really frustrated with that. But even more than that, I really lay this loss at the feet of the offense because I com- – coming into the game, I thought Alabama would only be able to realistically get, you know, maybe five, maybe six if at the absolute maximum stops on this LSU offense. And they only got five or six. And 
What the Alabama offense did, though, was just die on the vine for two and a half quarters and not even just die on the vine, put the defense, which is the most suspect part of the Alabama team, in terrible positions, just absolutely horrific positions. The interception, which you've already talked about, the constant three and outs where essentially giving LSU an insurmountable time of possession lead, which ended up wearing the defense down towards the back end of the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I really lay this one at the feet of the offense, and it was a multi-level failure. You know, I think it's been reported that Tua was trying to knock the rust off. He was not very sharp in the first two and a half quarters. The offensive line was not really there. You know, once they got it, once they got it in gear, they were awesome. But unfortunately, this is a team where the offense has to lead the defense, not the other way around. And the offense was unable to lead at all up until about halfway through the third quarter, and that's just unacceptable. That that that's really to me the the the, the kernel of the problem with this football team. And we can certainly talk about the defense not being coached up, trouble on the defensive staff, all of that. And I think there's something to be said there. But I didn't have this expectation. Like, the defense to me played to expectations. Now, the 25 missed tackles fade me on that. The fact that Nick Saban had to run a tackling drill in the middle of a game week prep is insane to me. But – Overall, I really lay this one much more at the feet of the offense, Drew. Well, you know, my whole thing is this. I know with this team, unfortunately, I've said it, this offense has to be perfect or near perfect to win, and they just weren't. And but they weren't even, I, I, Dude, they weren't even close to near perfect. They were freaking terrible for 35 minutes of that game. Well, and yet they still put 540 yards and 41 points on the board, okay? So, to me, they've got to get more out of this defense. You've got to be able to get some stops. You've got to be able to tackle. You've got to be able to get some quality opponent to get off the field. And they missed they, – they had opportunities, but they didn't wrap up. They had five sacks, Thomas, and to me, if you told me that before the game, I'd have said they are going to win it. But they probably should have had about eight. They missed Burrow two or three times. Uh, and then – to me, I think it changed the complete tenor of the game. You can't get a dumbass substitution penalty and, and and wipe away an interception. You just can't, especially when LSU had the momentum and you would have gotten it back. And then another positive in the game, what did I tell everybody? If Ed Ogeron is dumb enough to kick to Waddle, he's going to pay for it. Well, he did. Waddle housed it from 78 yards, made an explosive play. And I'll say this, I'm only going to comment on the officiating just a little bit. That was a pitiful missed call against uh, Thaddeus Moss. But the reason I'm not going to talk about it much, he wasn't forced out. That was a bullshit crutch by the SEC office. But I don't have any confidence Alabama would have stopped him anyway. So I don't really care. And then the uh, and then I can't believe, and of course it didn't have any outcome, you know, determination on the outcome of the play. How do you miss that face mask on Waddle? I mean, I just – these officials, I don't understand. I know they have a hard job, but they miss too many calls. But, again, it didn't have any kind of outcome, you know, impact on the outcome of the game, in my opinion. Uh, the better team won. So Alabama's got to pick up the pieces. 
But my my thing is this: I understand I've been playing five or six freshmen on defense, but 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 Thomas, when I'm in the media room and I'm talking to Xavier McKinney, and McKinney has had the best year of any on the secondary by far, and yet he didn't have a great game Saturday, even though he had a bunch of tackles. He'll freely admit that he missed five, four, five, six tackles. I mean, my goodness. I mean, I just to me when he tells you that there's still communication issues, that goes to coaching. And I just I know the offense didn't play up to their capability, but I think this defense is better than they've shown. And even with the freshmen, I just don't think they're being coached very well uh, in these big games. And I'm not a Pete Golden guy. I'm completely off the wagon. I think you're going to see some big time changes at Alabama in the offseason on the defensive staff because if Nick Saban is going to end this thing the way he wants to, and hell, this ought to be getting its competitive juices flowing with Ed Ogeron flexing a little bit. And Alabama's got some issues to fix, no question about it. But I got to tell you, it just gives me pause for the rest of the season, Thomas, defensively, because this offense, it's tough to score 50 every game, especially against high-quality comp. But you may be right. That's what this team is going to have to do. And they didn't come close uh, to executing the way they needed to against LSU. It was going to take over 50 to win that game, and they just couldn't do it. Well, the thing about LSU's defense is statistically it's fairly middle of the pack. Um, if I'm Ohio State or if I'm Clemson, they're going to be able to move the ball on LSU's defense. Um, frankly, for the, Alabama hit two very long passes. They probably should have hit four or five. Those DBs are not able to keep up with speed wide receivers. Alabama was regularly blowing the top off the defense. It was kind of hilarious to watch. But, I, you know, for me, I've kind of moved past the game itself. I mean, it, it, you're, you and William are both correct in that there's plenty of blame that could be passed around. And I really want to talk about what it means going forward. And I'm going to yeah, talk, go ahead. And I, I'm going to talk about something that has left me – really, really frustrated with Alabama over the past, let's call it year of real time. And in the past year, the three, maybe the four biggest games, let's call it the four biggest games Alabama's played is the SEC championship against Georgia, the semifinal game against Oklahoma, the national championship against Clemson, and this most recent LSU game. And in three of those four games, it took two and a half quarters to feel like the team was engaged. I mean, they never seemed engaged against Clemson, and that was borne out by people saying, we just didn't have the juice in the locker room. Well, you're playing for a national championship. I, I, I do not understand how you cannot be juiced up for that. So, you know, we talk about, uh, in this, at this point, it is kind of a trend. In the biggest games, Alabama starts glacially slow, and maybe is able to put it together and make a furious comeback. Now, that just isn't that, – that, that speaks to some kind of – and I can't believe I'm saying this – almost a lack of mental toughness in an Alabama football team. And, you know, I'm waiting for Nick Saban to come down on high and smite me with a lightning bolt. But, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't escape this. Like, I can't escape that – there are all of these mental errors on defense. There is a, what can only be described as a lackadaisical attitude surrounding big games and an inability to bounce back. Because 
you know, I can accept something like the fumble that Tua had in the early first quarter. That's acceptable. What is unacceptable is when a fumble turns into, barring one long touchdown, two and a half quarters of zero offensive production. What I can't, what's hard to accept is one missed tackle turns into six and a first down. And that's happened entirely too often over the past year in big games for this team. So, you know, going forward against Mississippi State, I mean, I want to leave, like, if we are if we have the show at 6 p.m. on a Saturday, which we won't do, but, you know, you, you get your text and your buddies, hopefully Alabama's won. The thing that I want to feel going out of that game is that Alabama comes in with, a, with an edge. Like, we are coming out on the field – and we are not just going to beat you, we're going to annihilate you. And, you know, maybe it doesn't pan out with more than a, you know, 21-point win. Even though I would argue that you need to have a 50-point win. Um, and we'll, I'll, have, I'll make that argument in a little while. I'm tired of feeling like Alabama rolls out in the first quarter, and if they get punched in the mouth, they're going to fart around for the next 20 minutes of game time and then figure it out. Like this, I know football is a complicated game, but you you got to be ready for that first punch because the best teams are not afraid of you. They're going to f- take advantage of what you do poorly. You have to be ready to bounce back, and I don't really get that with this football team, Drew. Well, we'll find out on Saturday at eleven a.m. I mean, we're going to see if they can get themselves back up. I mean, I. I still think they're going to cover in this game. I think I don't think Mississippi State's very good, but I think Alabama – and I'm expecting Tua to play two-and-a-half quarters uh, and help Alabama build a lead here and then see Mac Jones. And There are some saying that Nick Saban uh, stated that Mac Jones, would, he's looking forward to how he plays in the game. Well, I'm sure he is, but I think I still think Tua is going to start and Mac Jones will come off the bench. So uh, we'll see about that going forward. Uh, but I want to see how this defense responds – you know, the core leadership, I don't, I, you know, I'm not a Pete Golden guy, Carl Scott, Brian Baker, but come on, you got some seniors on that team, some guys that have played a lot of football. Let's see if they can police themselves internally and come out and play better football. And uh, I think they need to, they don't need to let Mississippi State hang around. Uh, and they certainly need to take care of business and, and move on to Western Carolina, who they're going to drill. And then the Auburn Tigers, because, uh, you know, if they can get to Auburn with uh, one loss, I mean, that's – yeah, to me, Thomas, they're going to have to make a big statement and soundly whip Auburn. And if they do, they've got a really good shot, I think 70%, 80% if uh, LSU is still unbeaten to get to the college football playoff. I think that's a possibility. But the, the argument I'm going to make is actually goes back to the edge, and it goes back to the first year of the college football playoff. If you remember the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, who would go on to win that national championship, they destroyed Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. It was fifty-nine to nothing. Right. What, what doesn't get talked about is, I believe it was TCU because TCU beat Baylor that year. They beat a really bad, uh, really bad. I think Iowa State team, like fifty-five to three, and they still got jumped. So, what? the committee will take notice of change like this. Remember we're dealing with people. We're dealing with people's internal biases. And because of the amount of data that shoved on these people, uh, ESPN's Bill Connolly actually described the application 
that's used by the committee. And it sounds very paint-by-numbers, connect-four type stuff, which makes my skin crawl, but, you know, whatever. Oh. The, 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 committee, the committee was a bad idea when it started, and nothing I've seen no evidence to change my opinion, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on that hill. But anyway, what Alabama needs to get the 70 to 80% uh, making the college football playoff up to 90 95% is a change and needs some narrative, needs to grab control of the narrative. What Alabama doesn't need, you know, at 6 p.m. this upcoming Saturday, is to have won 38-17. to 17. You look at the box score, Alabama went up 35-3. to 3. The twos came in, Mac Jones threw for 70 yards, and Brian Robinson ran for 50 yards, and the defense gave up 300 yards and two garbage-time touchdowns. Because that is what Alabama has done all year. We, that literally says we are who they thought they are. We, they are who we thought they were, a team that is deeply flawed and gives up too many yards. Uh, if I'm the Alabama coaching staff or if I'm Nick Saban, I walked into the Sunday meeting after the LSU game saying to Sarkeesian, we need to score 70 against these guys. Tua should be throwing bombs deep into the fourth quarter. And if he has 500 passing yards, he needs 600. If he has 600, he needs 700. Because what Ohio State did in 14 was dominate an opponent and get in. What has Ohio State done this year? Everybody they've played, they have annihilated. What was the storyline starting off the season? Ohio State's down 5 nothing to Joe Blow. And then they scored 73 straight points. So, you know, if I'm this team, I think realistically, I think we could get into a 52-20 type game because Mississippi State is legitimately horrible on defense. They're among the worst defenses in the SEC. And that would just continue the story. I, I think the score will end up being 45-17-ish. But if it if we wake up and it's sixty three to six, that will tell me that the mental toughness point is not. I was wrong with that. The team came out with an edge and they looked to dominate. And to your point about Auburn, I mean Alabama's got to wreck that team because here's what the committee will see: they will see a common opponent between LSU and Alabama, the Auburn Tigers. LSU beat them by three at home. If Alabama goes into Jordan-Hare and beats them by 30, that's a big feather in Alabama's cap. And that's where Alabama needs to be mentally because, you know, it's not something like you don't want to give the committee any more excuse to pull you out. Because what have we seen over the last two weeks? We saw Alabama at three with a best win at Texas A&M. We saw LSU at two with a bunch of solid wins. They were top ten wins at the time. Texas has fallen off the face of the earth. Auburn has struggled at other times, as has Florida, having lose, losing to Georgia and Florida, actually, ironically. But what? why did Ohio State get the nod over LSU? Because Ohio State beat the number 18 Cincinnati team 42 to nothing, and the game could have been 100 to nothing. And they beat what was a well-regarded Wisconsin team, at least in the polls before the playoff, and just it was a close game, and then it magically wasn't. 
It's unequivocal that LSU's resume is better than Ohio State's, but the eye test pushed Ohio State past them. Now, unfortunately, the in the inconsistency of the committee was smashed over our heads this past Tuesday when Alabama was number five and Georgia was number four, where Georgia has a loss at home by a field goal to a South Carolina team that one Alabama smashed and two is is it a 500 football team? I don't know. They've lost to Appalachian State and UNC. So that, that's all you need to know about South Carolina. And Alabama has a five-point loss to LSU at home. Now, you can argue that the game wasn't as close as the score indicated against Alabama, but suddenly the calculus changed in that a win over a Notre Dame team that has backslid since that win and a win over a Florida team, which is solid, um, it counts more than Alabama's wins, collection of wins over decent teams, you know, their best being Texas A&M. But you don't even get told that. You're just left to surmise that by a group of people of, frankly, in many cases, very questionable intelligence. And uh, Heather Danich? Well, I mean, they're – if if off off air, I have a I have a metric that she uses for her con, her uh, her her conclusions that is extraordinarily offensive because it's not actually based on this thing we call numbers and or reality. So I, I mean I don't really I, I, that but that's just the perfect example. So you're in this subjective system where the only consistency is inconsistency. You don't ever get an explanation aside from trotting out what's-his-face, the committee guy, who gives you a 10-second blurb that means functionally nothing. So if I'm the coaching staff, I'm really approaching Mississippi State and Western Carolina and Auburn to where you don't need to just beat that team. You know, it's not win and move on. You lost that by losing to LSU. It's you need to bomb that team. You need to embarrass that team. You need to drop 60 or 70 on Mississippi State in Starkville. You need to drop 70 or 80 on Western Carolina in, in on senior day. And you need to go down to Jordan-Hare, and if you can make it, you can drop 50. Because the thing about that Auburn team is as much as everybody beats their chest that Auburn held LSU 23-20, LSU had over 500 yards of total offense in that game in an absolute freaking monsoon. So I actually think that game is not as close as the score indicates. Now, if Alabama can have similar yardage production and double those points, that's going to be a real big deal. And that's now the game Alabama is playing. I personally hate the game. I think it's a stupid game. I think the game is a direct result of an extraordinarily flawed committee system of people of questionable intelligence. But unfortunately, this is now the hand that Alabama has been dealt. And to do anything else would be completely counterproductive and, frankly, dumb coming out of Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to handle business, no doubt about it. I mean... Uh, but it is what it is. I don't know how much better this defense can get, Thomas. They're going to have to score. They're going to have to the, – the biggest thing they need to get out of these next two games before Auburn is cut down on the penalties, execute, don't turn it over, uh, and keep Tua Tungvaloa healthy, and I think they can do that. I think what, – what is your theory? I think he's starting. I think they've got to keep him sharp uh, because Auburn is a lot better on defense than anything Alabama has seen. What – are you uh, the same way? Do you think he's going to start on Saturday? I think 
if you buy the notion that some of the offensive struggles against LSU were a direct result of Tua Tungavailoa not taking a snap in anger in 20 days, you know, he didn't play against Arkansas, and then he had the two weeks off, you play him. Now, obviously, you play him assuming the medical staff clears him, but, you know, you're in the shoot now. Like, your, your margin for error is gone. So, you know, if he's healthy, he should be out there, and Alabama should be trying to score 60. Yeah, no doubt about it. They, they need to make a statement. You're right. They need to be impressive. So, is your pick 52-20, to 20, you said? Yeah, I'll take 52-20. Well, I'll, I'm a little less. I'll take 42-17. William said 31-17. He's thinking that they're going to have a little bit more trouble, a little bit bigger hangover. I don't buy that because this Mississippi State defense is trash. I mean, I, I, they're not nearly as good as they were. And they've still got guys suspended because of the situation off the field, the academic stuff. So we'll just have to see, no doubt about it. But it's going to be interesting to see if they bounce back and see how they do. We'll certainly be coming to you next week and talking about it on BAMS Radio. Real quickly, I wanted to give a basketball update. I went and covered NATO's first win, 78-59 over the Florida Atlantic Owls. Breakout for uh, redshirt freshman big man Javion Davis. He dropped the Fleming, Javion Davis now. He had 19 points and nine boards. For Alabama, 16 points for Kyra Luna, 17 for Jaden Shackelford, 12 points and eight rebounds for Alex Reed. So some balance on offense. John Petty, I thought his offensive game was good. I thought he attacked well. He just couldn't get his three to drop. He finishes with nine. Uh, you know, I thought he played better on the defensive end. So NATO is going to continue to be a work in progress. They go to Rhode Island, and Rhode Island's returning a lot of talent. Dan Hurley is now at Connecticut. He left some good players over there. It's going to be a tough first true road game on Friday night. Uh, then they're going to uh, return to Coleman Coliseum on Tuesday against the Furman Paladins, and I'll have coverage of that before uh, you know they, they uh, leave for a Thanksgiving. I want to say, yeah, the day before Thanksgiving on Wednesday, they're going to be in the, uh, of course, the Battle of Atlantis in the Bahamas. They're going to take on the North Carolina Tar Heels. So that's going to be exciting. But Alabama gets their first win over NATO. It's a good one, good performance. Not a great shooting game again, but they defended well, held held Florida Atlantic a pretty good mid-major to 59 points. And so they get their first win under NATO, so now they'll look to continue that with their first true road game. And we'll talk about that next week on BAMS Radio after they take on the Furman Paladins and, well, excuse me, uh, the, uh, the uh, Rhode Island Rams. And then they'll take on Furman, and we'll have a report from that home game. I'll cover that one next Tuesday, as we'll probably be recording again on Wednesday on BAMS Radio, as we uh, have have lately. Wednesday's been a good day because everybody's got busy schedules. But we appreciate all the support. We get shout-outs every week. We I know we have a lot of loyal listeners, and we thank you. I want to thank William Redfish Barger, who joined us earlier. I want to thank Thomas, the Wizards Watch. He's the man. He keeps everything running. And then I'm Drew Yarman. We hope you enjoyed our show. Disappointing result for Alabama, but still a lot to play for. They don't control their own destiny, but they just need a little bit of help. And I think that they can get back to the college football playoff. And we'll see if they get back on the winning track against Mississippi State at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Because uh, if they don't, you already know their playoff hopes are dashed. So I think this team's talented. We'll see how, how the culture is and the leadership. Can they bounce back? and get another uh, win in Starkville because they had to escape two years ago. 
but this is not nearly as good a football team, and Alabama should win this game and win it impressively. And we'll see if they do, and we'll talk about it next week on BAMS Radio. For Thomas, for William Redfish Barger, good night, everybody, and roll tide.